Welcome to Call That Girl's Office 365 Show. Keep up with Lisa's day-to-day problems and solutions she encounters with Outlook, third-party apps, and Office 365. The learning never ends, folks. Learn from Lisa. Welcome to Call That Girl's Office 365 Show. I'm Lisa Hendrickson, your hostess, and this is show number 76. If you want to check out my past shows and notes, you can go to callthatgirl.biz slash office365. If you're new to the show and wondering what it's all about, it's usually about me and my outlook, Office 365, jobs I've done. Sometimes it's just me. Sometimes I have guests. And this week, again, it's just me. Um, I might talk about other parts of my business I like talking about, such as operations, consulting, and sales. I told you folks in my last show that I am still intending on changing the show up a little bit here. Um, I'm going to Chicago in a few weeks to speak at the American Bar Association's tech show. So I'm kind of waiting till that's all over with. Let me just tell you guys what it's like to be asked to speak at a big event like that. It's actually a lot of work. (laughs) Um, There's, I think, 50 of us speaking, and each of us has two events that we have to speak for. Mine is the uh, Maximizing the Benefits of Outlook, and the other one is Office 365 versus Google Apps. So it's been a very interesting learning experience because I'm partnered with somebody else. And originally I thought it was just me. So I was all gung ho and wrote up the outline for both of them. And then like two weeks later, they're like, oh, meet your partner. And I'm like, oh, oh. And I'm like, how fun. Oh, there goes my alarm. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I have a partner. So now because I'm independent all the time and write my own things, I've had to learn to work with a team member. So it's been really cool for that. Um, So that show is in March, I believe, March 15th through the 18th. And I'll have a little after show about that because that's going to be a very unique experience. It's called The Tech Show. And I'm hopefully going to get out and network, meet a bunch of new people, and see what happens after all that. But anyway, this week's show is going to be a little bit different. Um, I still want to get to that sinking show. But since... I keep finding other things I want to talk about. It keeps getting delayed, but that is on the next show, though, by the way, the Outlook Syncing Software Tools. But this week, um, I had a fella a few weeks ago email me and ask um, questions about being an Office 365 consultant. And I called him up, and I talked to him for like 15 minutes and just, you know, kind of told him, like, the real deal. Like, here's what it really is, okay? And... um Afterwards, I said, well, look, why don't you generate some uh, questions for me, and then I will go and do a show about it. So he did that, and I thought that was pretty cool because, you know, a lot of people that listen to the show are working nine-to-five jobs, or they're working for a company, and they're like, oh, how great would it be to be on my own? And I kind of just want to let you guys know what it's like to be on your own and doing only this because it's not as easy as just saying, well, I'm just going to be a consultant now or an Office 365 technician. So the show this week is, so you want to be an Office 365 consultant. We'll start with that, okay? But before we get going, I want to talk about a few stories, which are going to include all this consultation I do, because it's uh, it's an interesting world. Um, I've never really talked about it in depth before, so here we go. Um, my first story is, this is kind of funny. I am on LinkedIn, and uh, I was kind of scared 
when I first moved to Las Vegas to put in my LinkedIn profile that I lived in Las Vegas because, well, my name is Call That Girl and I live in Vegas and I was like, maybe people are going to get the wrong perception. But on occasion, I do get some clients that actually live in Las Vegas that found me in, in LinkedIn. <clears throat> Excuse me. And this one fella uh, emailed me and said, hey, I'm going to be in Vegas for uh, a trip and was seeing if you'd want to meet to talk about some Office 365 work. And I was like, hmm, I've never really done that before. Met somebody here. <laughs> Usually it's just all on the phone for me. But luckily he was coming at the same time I had another meeting planned at a hotel already to meet somebody else for some business that we were going to do. So I was like, sure, let's meet up. And, you know, when you first meet somebody in person, which I haven't done in years, you know, I was kind of like, you know, thinking, is this guy trying to get a lot of information out of me for free? We hung out for about an hour and I didn't give him like a lot of the how to stuff, but just basically, you know, we just generally talked about office 365 and what his company was doing. And, um, you know, afterwards, uh, my meeting, my next meeting started, he left and I was like, you know, I just don't know if the guy's going to follow up with me or not. Well, anyway, it turns out the guy did after, um, I think it was a couple weeks, did call me up or excuse me, emailed me and said, let's do it. So I thought that was interesting. That was, uh, wasn't expecting it and he did. And I, I just don't do that often because I'm so remote and we'll talk about that too in the consulting, um, you know, everything I do is remote now as well. I don't meet people. I don't create long, um, what's it called, uh, proposals. I kind of got my stuff down to quick bites. You know, it's quick, it's easy, and it's done. And and that's why years ago I did proposals and did a lot of work and a lot of in-person networking, but it's all changed right now. The Internet is very fast, and people want things fixed quickly and done quickly. So, well, anyway, I had another fella that – um I helped, oh, I think I helped him last fall. And at the very end of the hour of me fixing his Outlook stuff, the uh, topic came up of, hey, we want our team to do some contact sharing. Now, I'm going to give you guys this free tip because this is really valuable to know is that, you know, if you want to share contacts on an iPhone and an Android, the public contacts from Exchange just doesn't work that great. So basically what you have to do is create a new mailbox, and then do all the setup and sharing and training, which the first, you know, adding the mailbox is not a big deal, but it's the extra parts, you know, that take the time. And people that don't know I'll look won't know how to set it up right. And they won't know how to use it on their phones and things like that. So I always quote at least two hours, excuse me, for that work. And the fella um, got his whole team in on this consultation that I did for free. And, um, you know, I kind of, I hate to say it, I gave away, you know, the farm on it. I kind of had to tell them everything except the training part. But, you know, I was like, after that job, he never called me. And uh, I kind of took that as a learning lesson that I'm not going to offer free consultations anymore. And I took it right off my website. And I said, you know what? I'm going to bill everybody for everything from now on. Because my advice is valuable. And a lot of clients do this and I'm not saying it's bad because I've probably done it myself too. Like you call and talk to somebody and you want to get the info, but when it comes to paying the bill, people don't want to pay $300 to have all that done for them when I gave them enough information. So I just said, you know what? I'm not going to offer free consultations anymore on the website. 
if people call in, I will call them back and do it. And if it's a big project, I will do a free consultation because I think that the migrations, I, uh, you know, I do, you know, I don't tell them how I'm doing it. We talk about the pricing and how it's done and all that stuff. And that's different, but, uh, yep. So anyway, um, let's see here. I had another fella that, uh, I helped for an hour in December. He was on a Mac. He had five Gmail accounts and I've been getting more and more calls for these Macs with the Gmail, just to let you know. Gmail has never-ending unlimited email, but unfortunately, there's a thing called a computer and a program called Outlook that does not like unlimited email, especially with five Gmail accounts in uh, Outlook with the constant synchronizing and all that. So I literally, now that I know how to do that quickly with the Mac, is you go into each Gmail account, turn off all the unnecessary folders, and force quit Outlook, and hopefully when you launch it back up, it removes those folders from the view so those aren't syncing anymore and relieving the Outlook of unnecessary weight. But he called me back and said, I love this, the guy goes, do you warranty your work? Because the fix you did didn't work. And I sat there for a second and was like, geez, I never get questions about warranties or guaranteeing my work because everybody knows that Outlook breaks, Windows breaks, you know, servers have snags. I mean, there's so many things that can cause problems. So I wrote them back really nicely and said, unfortunately, just due to computer updates and software updates and devices and email and size and things like that, I cannot warranty my work. But... I will remote in for a few minutes and take a look at your situation and tell you what, you know, is wrong or whatever. And he was very nice about it. And I did the 10 minute remote in and told him his problems. And, uh, you know, basically, you know, to me, I saved face on that job and without saying no, I, I did say no, but I said, look, I'm still willing to help you though. But just to let you folks know that the end all fix to that is just to try to create a new profile if it still does not um, fixing it by removing those folders in Gmail. Making a new profile really does bring, uh, you know, brings down a, a clean, what I would say, download of the IMAP with the Gmail there. But so anyway, no warranties, no guarantees. Sorry, I can't do that in my world. But I do a good job of closing each job with managing their expectations, which is what we need to do. All right. And let's see. Um, I think we're ready to talk about the consulting here. I got quite a few, uh, quite a few things I want to talk about. So, uh, like I said, the fan wrote in, asked me a few questions. I said, I'm going to answer it. So let's start with what is an office 365 consultant. It's not something that's really been around for 20 years. You know, the program itself's only been around for, you know, a handful of years and it's getting to market now and people are starting to see the marketing. And so typically a client can set up Office 365 themselves. What happens is they get, they buy it, they set it up, they get a snag, right? So a typical small business would probably go to the internet and try to find an Office 365 expert, a consultant or whatever. And usually people like hiring local, okay? They want to hire someone down the street. Uh, clients still love having that technician come over and look at things, right? And I think and I think that in today's world, 
there's I'm just letting you know that there's not enough local technicians that have the expertise to fix these things quickly. That's why I've done so well with, you know, where I am in Google for people to come find me. And so I think that if you wanted to start marketing your company or your business as a consultant or expert, you have to have the knowledge to quickly answer every single question. And even if you don't answer each question with a repair or a fix, you have to have a resolution, which means maybe going to somebody else. So you, almost you have to say, you don't say no ever. I mean, in, in terms of can you help? Because if you say no to something, think about it. How do I say yes to that? A consultant should have resolutions to get things done. Mine always is I have another person to help you. Or let's talk to Microsoft. Even, even if I have to babysit the Microsoft job, I know how to get it done, but we need their help on a certain thing maybe or whatever. So that's kind of what a consultant, in my opinion, does. A consultant also does higher level Office 365 work, which is works with um, larger scale projects, like large scale, like we're talking enterprise level. There's a lot of consultants out there that only do SharePoint migrations. There's a lot of them that only do exchange. There's a lot that only do pieces. And that's where you kind of niche out as a consultant, right? Like you do only one thing and you do it well. Well, that's what the word expert is supposed to be for, right? So that's why consultant can be kind of broad. You know, you can do a lot of things. Um, I found that I use the word expert for some things, consultant for another, specialist for another. It all depends on what I'm marketing for. And, you know, if you want to start as a generalist Office 365 technician, that's even a good starting ground to start with because people still look for technicians, but there's not that many people using the word technician with Office 365. And so if you're going to start marketing yourself as an Office 365 technician, start on the low grade, get some practice in, get a few clients under your belt and kind of get a feel for how you want to run your business. That's something I'm going to recommend because I did that years ago. And I kind of fell into it um, slowly. It's a new Outlook, which is the big product, you know, of the Office uh, 2013 and 16 suite that's used with Exchange. You know, that's more used than anything else, I think, by businesses right now of the suite. Well, I kind of got lucky in my early years because I knew Outlook really well. I knew Exchange. And then, and then I had to learn SharePoint and OneDrive and all the back-end stuff, and I kind of had to grow and learn it slowly. And that's what I think a lot of what I would say, um, you know, consultants that maybe do SharePoint don't understand the Outlook and Exchange. So before you get started, just think of what you want to be a consultant for. What do you want to do? What's your favorite thing? I always tell folks, do your favorite thing because that's where you're going to do well at. I'm not, you know, a SharePoint migration specialist. I don't love it, so I'm not going to do that work. I'm never going to do it. I can tell you that right now. It's not something I want. I like working with customers, clients, and what I really love doing. Okay, I think I got enough there out of the way. If you have any questions about what I just said, feel free to email me, and I can do some clarifying in the next show. Um, I, uh, I'm just not 100% sure I covered enough there, but I want to move on with the next questions that Matt gave a, that Matt asked me here. Okay, uh, so his first question is, should you be a Microsoft partner? Now, 
just because you want to be a consultant or an expert or technician does not mean you need to set up the rules set up by Microsoft and be in their CSP plans or be on their partners or, you know, use any of their stuff because I do not. And I don't for a reason. This is where instead of me being a Microsoft partner, I'm an app river partner. And if you've been listening to the show for a while, you know that I partner up with app river for many reasons. I happen to run a help desk where I'm very busy all day, troubleshooting Outlook and Office 365 for clients. I do migration work, and I want a partner that's smaller scale than Microsoft that I can work with and have relationships with for technicians or salespeople or whatever. So my partnership is with AppRiver. Microsoft, it might be better for you. depends on how you want to do your sales and support. Um... I did work with a client once that bought the E5 plan and she told me that she had to contact tech support a lot that first week they just migrated and she said it was excellent service. Now that's the only time I've ever heard excellent service, but she had the E5 plan and they put down a lot of money. So I'm hoping, you know, that the higher, more, the more money she paid, the better service she got. So look at it that way. But I know there's many technicians out there that are resellers with Microsoft directly. They also go through companies, which I'm not 100% sure what they all do, but like Cynix, I think, is one. And there's other companies that do more than just Office 365. They do more like MSP work and um, sales for other things like Lenovo. I'm, I'm not 100% sure here. I'm just going off what my Facebook friends say. But, you know, there's many different ways to partner with other companies. And the reason why you'd want to have a partnership with a smaller company is because you are busy doing your work for clients that you can't spend six hours on the phone with Microsoft. You know, that to me is a, is a loss of time. And I don't do it anymore because my time is more valuable billing clients and troubleshooting issues and having app river, you know, work with some of the issues if need be the clients pay app river for their, uh, their bills. So they get some support. Now, I'm on their partner plan. They also have a reseller plan also, which you're kind of like, you're the only person allowed to call them if you're a reseller. Um, my clients actually paid the bill to AppRiver so they can actually call them first if they like. But like I said, it's limited support. So then it falls back on me. And then I sell prepay tickets. So I get, uh, usually I sell those prepays when I do a migration. So I kind of have that already included. Okay, so I think that answers that question. But um, also, final thing about it is if you want to manage the sales and stuff like that, then you'd want to be a Microsoft partner. I don't manage my sales. Once I do a sale, it's over. And I move on. Okay, Matt then asked, should I have a web page? Should you have a web page? And I said, yes, you definitely need to have a web page. <laughs> First of all, people are going to find you through the web no matter what. Um, your website, you should have one, keep it really simple. Make sure your call to action is at the top, either email me, call me and your services are listed and don't make it all exciting and blingy and floaty pictures and a crazy carnival act of a website. Office 365 clients are looking to get help and that's all they want. All right. So whenever I go out and look at other technicians websites and I already see the floating pictures and all that stuff, I'm like, Looks pretty, but, you know, where's the stuff you do? You know, let's get to it. That's how I feel about websites. And my clients always tell me they appreciate 
that everything that they needed, they found right on the navigation bar of my website. So that's just a tip for you folks. Next question is, should your email be a custom domain or would a generic Gmail account work? Uh, no one in business should ever have a generic Gmail account, period. Okay. Generic Gmail is just not professional and a custom domain is, um, like what, 10, 12 bucks a year. And then your email on top of that is generally free or a few bucks. And if you're doing exchange, which you should be, if you're doing office 365, you know, you pay a few bucks to Microsoft for that a month. Um, but yes, you'd always have a custom domain. So if you're like, you know, should I just create uh, Matt's Office 365 Consulting.com or, you know, something like that? Yeah, you know what? You can get away with using some of the Microsoft terms in your uh, domain if you want to go look on register.com or GoDaddy and try to find a few snazzy website names. But remember, your website name should match your business name. Okay. <laughs> so if you have, Matt's IT consulting and go buy a domain that doesn't match, then you're going to have a confusing brand for your clients. So, you know, if you already have a business name, buy that domain and try to stay, you know, within your own, uh, within your own brand there. Um, I always try to have a custom domain and with, uh, excuse me, with call that girl. Uh, I bought mine in 2003 and, um, when I first bought it, I bought it, let it go, and then everybody was like, you're never going to have a business that's going to work with Call That Girl. And you know what it did? And it's been 2003, so it's been 14 years, it still is out there, still working out. So just do what you want and what you feel comfortable with. If you think you have a crazy name that's going to be rememberable and sell well, buy it. Okay? And do it. So I tell folks. Matt's next question was, how should you prospect clients? Well, I can't really say because I don't prospect. I take inbound calls only, okay? So, but if let's just say I was starting and with what limited information, you know, a new person would have out there, you know, I always say go local. There are so many companies now, and I'm talking so many in every small town, every small county, every small city, every small country, that are hearing about Office 365, the opportunities for technicians to do custom Office 365 work is incredible right now. And as much as I'd love to say, I can handle the world, I can't handle the world, honestly. I can't. So um, this is why I'm sharing this information with you. If you go out and go to your local community, you are going to find more opportunities with your local business networking events, BNI, LinkedIn, Talk to local computer shops, maybe tell them what you're doing, how you can partner up. I mean, there's a lot of ways to get the word out once you figure out what you want to do. That's kind of specific and special compared to what the computer shops are doing. I know a lot of shops are still hardware oriented and, you know, virus removals and working on custom builds and things like that. Maybe they don't want to get into Office 365 and that might be a good partnership for you. So I highly recommend you work with other techs first because I have a lot of technicians in my circle that I work with and I refer work out constantly. And the reason is because remember I said earlier, I don't say no. So if I have a client that calls me that says, at least I got a virus, I have three technicians that I work with that I send virus removals to. I've got another company that does managed services I work with. I got another one that does Macs. 
I have another one that does online backup. I've got a yes person handy for me. So that's where you want to be in your local community. And if you live in a very small town, think of your county, you know, and if you live in a very small county, think of, you know, the next biggest, largest city after you start to get your niche down and stuff like that, because there's a still a lot of computer repair shops. I know that still won't do office 365 work. They don't do the migrations, the SharePoint setup, the OneDrive work, you know, they don't handle it yet. So that's where you can put yourself in a nice position. His next question was, how should you market yourself? Well, all I know is my website folks, but I will tell you that in my early years, I did not bank on my website. Okay. In 2007, I worked solely off of face-to-face -face networking. And then after I started getting business cards, this little handy thing called LinkedIn became popular. This is 2007. And then I started putting people into my LinkedIn from the business cards and I created a social circle of networking colleagues on LinkedIn. So that's where the marketing started for me. My little, oh, then I started finding people were paying attention to me online. And then I started doing newsletters. So, I mean, you know, it kind of started getting, you know, circular at this point. I started with face-to-face, -face, went online, did newsletters, and that helps. So when you go to market yourself, let's say your end goal is to talk about Office 365 and what you do. Don't be a hard pitcher, you know. Don't go out and just tell people what you do. Start generating questions maybe about what they have set up. Like, oh, are you on Office 365 already? That's a good generating question because people are hearing about it right now and they want to know more about it. And if you're the person doing it, well, then maybe, you know, they want to talk to you about it. And that's what I would start with, especially is, you know, what are you doing now? Um, people love talking about their business email. It drives them crazy. <laughs> they always hate it. <laughs> always. All right. Next question he had. One second here. How much should you charge? Well, this is very interesting because every community has different rates for every single bit of work they do. There really can't be one national rate because, you know, I like using this as my examples is there's a bunch of uh, techs I know in some small towns in Iowa and those folks can't charge what a big city, you know, company can charge and it's because their market ain't going to buy it and they're not going to do it. So if you want to get the clients in your area, you probably have to start with a wage that they're going to pay. And if you're not 100% sure, you can start doing some market research yourself on that. But let me give you an example. So first thing you want to do is um, go low in your pricing because you're brand new to it. And you want to make sure that as you set up your processes and your pricing, you're going to have to change that in time. But if you start low, you have more wiggle room for telling the clients, I'm just getting started. See, your first five, 10 clients are going to know that you're learning and you're getting experience. And, you know, you have people available to ask questions too if you have problems like myself or people in the Facebook group, you know. So it's always good to say, you know what? I'm going to be $75 an hour for this project. Let's just put that out there. Okay. And then in if like 10 jobs, you've learned a bunch of lessons. You can now say, well, because I learned all these hard lessons, I'm going to go up to a hundred now. And then you're more confident with your work and your sales that you actually can say I'm worth a hundred. You know, if people start going, Ooh, that's a little high. And you can say, well, you know, I've done a lot of this and I know what I'm doing and it's worth it. 
you know, that's how you can start selling it. But um, I don't know what your town is, how much experience you have. All of that is a factor in your pricing. When I first started out with my business in 2007, I was $65 an hour. And this is what I just get a crack. I crack myself up. On my first flyer, I actually put Outlook support on it. Okay. I knew back then to market Outlook. Nobody else in the world probably did, but I did because I loved it. I'd already worked with it. So $65 an hour in 2007 was my starting rate. And now I'm 149. But I mean, you know, that comes with almost 10 years of experience now. So anyway, um, the next question was, what services should you provide? Well, okay, so let's say you're working at a nine to five job right now and you're like, okay, I want to be my own independent consultant for office, right? Well, think of what you do well right now. Think of what you like and think about what you want to learn because there's a lot of things that you don't know right now that you want to learn and that's probably good billable stuff for later. So what I kind of try to tell people is create a game plan. What do you know right now? Maybe you know Exchange really well, but do you know Outlook really well? Okay, maybe that's something you need to learn. Um, you might know SharePoint and migrating you know, sites over. Well, do you know the desktop part of SharePoint and how to help people synchronize the libraries? So see, there's always something else. Um, I really don't know a lot about OneDrive still. <laughs> I just know it breaks a lot. But, you know, when you think of, you know, the, the main things about Office 365, Exchange, SharePoint, and OneDrive, and that doesn't even include all the new apps that are coming. I mean, there's tons of them coming out uh, all the time. You know, you got to think about what are the things you like to do? What do you want to do? And maybe your future because, you know, in two years, you're going to want to expand on your services because I completely have. And I've expanded within my own Outlook stuff too, by the way. I've been working with encryption and blacklist support and spam list support. You know, those are Outlook things and that's things I enjoy doing. So that's the other services I'm providing slowly. But even though I'm not an expert, I'm offering them to clients so I can get practice and become maybe an expert in it. But anyway, also you want to think about is what services you don't want to provide. Okay, so let's say you really hate Outlook, but you want to do exchange, like hybrid exchange, maybe, you know, enterprise level. I even hate to use the word federation level because I don't even know what really it is. But let's say you're a master exchange technician and you're like, I only want to do the big shit. Well, you can do that. But if you're going to be an independent consultant, you still need to know how to do the desktop support because, you know, you have to have somebody on the um, what we call it, sneakers. <laughs> this friend of mine said it well, and I can't remember it, sneakers on the field or, you know, a f you have to have somebody in the office doing the deployment, whether it be from the server or actually from like a tool like deployment. Was it deployment pro from BitTitan? You know, somebody has to go do the new profile setup, right? And somebody has to do the aftercare. So, you know, if you're going to start with having some large scale, you know, um, you know, uh, consulting business, you have to have other people that you still work with to get it done. Unless, like I was saying, you work with an IT company and they have all the people there, which would be a dream come true, but it doesn't always happen that way. Um, okay, so the next question is, should you incorporate? Well, honestly, this is really not a question for me about being a consultant, but I will let you know that if you are the only technician and you want to stay sole proprietor or LLC, you should be fine. But if you work from home, you won't have as many deductions. I'll tell you that. So you figure it out on your own there. 
But uh, most technicians start out as sole proprietor and move their way up the ladder. And he also asked, should you come up with a catchy name? Well, I talked about this a little bit earlier. I had to call that girl, and I can never really shake it. And people have said, you know, um, my wife saw the invoice from call that girl from Las Vegas, thought that was kind of weird, and told he told her the story, and they laughed. Ha-ha, jokey jokes. But honestly, I'm so married to this now, it's almost too late for me. So the catchy name for you can be something as long as business appropriate, you think it's funny, you think people are going to remember it. You know, I mean, I don't know why I said business appropriate, but, um, you know, just make sure it makes sense and sounds good. And then maybe you want to put some SEO in the business name, you know, too. There's a lot of words you can still use that have Microsoft um, content in it that's available to buy. So you might want to spend some time thinking about it and also do some research in your area before you go out and start a consulting business. I would do this. Go to Google. Type in Office 365 Consulting plus your town and see what comes up, okay? Um, go look at your competition. Go look at who's on the first page. Go see what names they're using. You know, you're doing your, your market research right now on your consulting business. It's good to know what's going on out there because, honestly, if there's five other consultants in your area, maybe this isn't a good place to start out. Maybe, you know, you should consider working for one of them first if they're already ranking really high because to compete with page one folks is a lot of work. And it doesn't matter how catchy your name is, Google only gives you the loving when you put the work into getting on page one, you know. So anyway, um, the other question he had is should you start as a doing it part-time or only do it full-time? Now, this is an excellent question because a lot of people – have that dream in corporate America that they can just quit their job and work on their business. And here's what I love is everybody does this. Well, I only need seven paying jobs a week at $100 an hour to make it. Getting those seven jobs a week is very hard in the beginning. I, I'm pretty sure that my first six months in 2007, which by the way, I was fired from a job, so I got lucky I had unemployment. Um, I think I had three jobs total. Okay. <laughs> I'm talking in six months. It takes a lot to get a business up and running and, um, sure it's easy to have the website done, but to get the marketing and the processes and the services and you go to events and try and try and try. Um, I didn't have much, but I never gave up and I still looked for other jobs cause unemployment required me to. Okay. So I still did that and I followed the rules. But um, as long as you follow the rules of unemployment, let's say you do get fired and you're like, this is a good time for me to go on my own, follow the rules, they'll let you do it, okay? But um, it wasn't until six months after I went to a big women's expo that I completely like blew up, call that girl, it went crazy. So I got very lucky. But so for me, mine was, was a full-time job and I still looked for other jobs. Now, if you're in the corporate world and you're like, oh, fuck it, I just got to leave. I'm so sick of this. I want to be on my own. Look at the things that you're responsible for in your life. Do you have a family? Do you have kids? Do you have health insurance you have to pay for? Do you got a lot of debt? Do you got, um, you know, look at your financials because just starting full-time, I can guarantee you, you will not make money the first week that you can pay your mortgage and car payment and insurance and all the other things in life and vacations and all that stuff. So I don't recommend you just quit. Now, let's say that you're at a corporate job and you spend six months 
working on this new full-time job. So every night you get off work at five and you go home and start hitting the home computer and start working on the networking and operations and processes and services and start getting out there. And let's say after five o'clock you do your part-time work. Okay. Well, it's going well. You've got things you figured out. You've got some good clients and you're like, okay, now my side money is kind of like, you know, a few grand a month. Well, then you're a little more comfortable but a few grand a month is still not going to cover the mortgage, the kids' school, the insurance. I mean, literally, you need to almost be at where you where you want to be before you can quit your full-time job. Because remember, if you go on your own with full-time job, I'm just saying this about the health insurance stuff, your insurance is probably going to go way up. I pay like 600 bucks a month for my insurance because I'm on my own. And I happen to have a better plan than I have to have, but... Um, remember if you've got kids and stuff, you got to have the, the health insurance to cover what you had at your corporate job and all the other stuff. So, <coughs> excuse me. So just remember if you want to go and venture on your own to spend that last six months at your full-time job, make sure that you leave on a good note that if you know, not that you want to come back, I hate saying that, but you might have to get another job. So you definitely don't want to leave on a bad note so you can have good references because not everything is great in the entrepreneur world, okay? <laughs> Being a consultant can be very, very tough sometimes. And um, I got to admit, there's some days that I sit here and go, God, what would it be like to work a nine-to-five job again? You know, I know I'd be taking a huge hit in pay, but then I wouldn't have the stress, right? And would I have a normal life after five? And I was like, you know what? I know how I am. I would still probably be working on that stupid side work shit I do after five anyway. So I was like, so I put that idea away whenever I start to think about it, which is very rare, but it does happen. But, uh, okay. So again, to answer his question, I definitely recommend part-time if you have a full-time job. And if you get fired from a job and you want to do it, then go for it because you've got nothing else to lose anyway. But continue to look for your full-time job for unemployment. Okay, his next question is, what should you do first? Well, maybe this question should have been at the top. I guess I just didn't think about it. But here's a, here's a little to-do list for you, okay? Figure out your services, number one. Number two, figure out your processes, your software for remote, because more than likely you're going to be remoting in. Um, if you happen to go local and people want you to go to their office, well, you really don't want to sit there for two hours watching an email like Migrate. You know, so you got to make best use of your time. So you're going to want remote support software so you can remote in and out. Remember, I've been remote only since 2013. Okay, so I'm on my fourth year of not going on site at all. It can be done and it should be done this way because, you know, if you're at a job and you got to, like, let's say, download, you know, 10 gigs of email and you can't do anything till that's done, you don't want to sit there because what if they have slow internet? It's horrible. So anyway... So figure out your services, figure out your processes, figure out your remote software, figure out your payment plan, how you're going to take payments, figure out your website, figure out your pricing. Pricing is always last, in my opinion. Anytime I gauge a project, pricing is always last because I have to figure out how much work I have involved in everything before I want to price it. Then you got to figure out your marketing. Then you got to figure out your networking, your in-person stuff, your business cards, your, I mean, the list honestly goes on and on and on. <laughs> so at this point, you are going to want to uh, create a big to-do list. 
And then you have to go out and start testing stuff too. Get your first client, test your everything, find your failure points. I have never been more successful um, without having failures. So you are going to fail. You're going to have some big fuck ups. You're going to have some that you actually probably break down and cry over at one point because it went so horrible. Man or woman, <laughs> when you are exhausted and frustrated, it's okay to sit and cry it out because it is. there's a learning lesson under there somewhere. And my biggest tip is write those learning lessons down and create a journal of them because they're going to make you stronger, okay? They, those learning lessons, while as tough as they are, whether they took a financial hit, emotional hit, uh, you lost a client, you maybe saved a client, whatever, just journal it out because I wish I would have journaled these out years ago and I just recently started and it actually makes me feel much better that anything that's really bad gets in my journal <laughs> so that I can read back. Okay, next up is should you have a Twitter account, Facebook, LinkedIn? Well, I'm just going to let you know that I started my Twitter account like in 2007 or 8 or whatever, Facebook, same deal, LinkedIn. Um, social media, it depends on what you like doing. So it's going to work for you, but not all your clients are going to like what you do, you know? So I'm going to say just for the sake of the answering the question, LinkedIn is more like your best friend because that's where all the business clients are. And if you're going to go into consulting, you're not going to be dealing with home users. So you don't want to be on Facebook and Twitter is kind of like for newsy people. So I really don't get a lot of work from Twitter. I get almost zero work from Facebook itself. But strangely, I get a lot of technicians calling me from Facebook groups I'm in, okay? So, I mean, that's you're not that level yet if you're just starting out. So LinkedIn is probably a good place. Go out and do your in-person networking. Go add them to your LinkedIn. Build up your social network there. Start putting out some updates. You know, LinkedIn gives you that little spot to share an update and go ahead and put out your stuff, you know, and just keep generating the, the, the news for yourself out there. But um, let's see. Also, just a tip is that I don't do local. So the Facebook might work for people that are in a local community. And it might work for Facebook ads. So I don't do local. I'm never going to do local. So have at it. Um, but you might want to try that. If someone else isn't doing it, that's maybe a good opportunity for you. And the final question is, do you have a complicated or simple web page? And um, I do have a very simple web page. Mine is very old, outdated. I'm scared to change it because I get so many compliments on it still that people are like, it's so simple. And I'm like, I know what's why I don't want to change it. But I mean, at some point I will, but I will change it to another simple website. Keep it simple. Keep everything above the fold, the phone number, how to get in contact in your services, and you'll be just fine. You don't need anything fluffy or complicated there. All right, now before I close the show, I've just got a few more tips, and these are things I've learned, and I'm so hard. These are such hard learning lessons for me that as much as I could say I don't do it, I still do it. But I'm learning that when I wake up in the morning and get my coffee going, I sit at my computer at 6.30, I'm really trying to resist emailing clients before 8 o'clock or 9. Because you know what? If they are on email, they will reply back, and next thing you know, they think you're working. Okay, that is a big tip. And I've been doing that for years. And the thing is that I can't start emailing after nine because my first appointment's usually at nine. You know, so I have to do my emails with the business like, you know, at eight. Let's just say eight's my time. Well, I also do emergency work for prepaid clients at eight. So it really sucks for me 
to um, to not want to just get in and do those emails right away, right? So there is a delay feature in Outlook, which I might start using. Um, send this after a certain time, which I've never done, but I thought, well, that would make me feel better. But then those people are going to email back right at 9, and then I got calls at 9, 10, 11, you know? So um, that's a little tip is just, just remember, like, if you email someone back at 11 and they're on email and they email you back, they're assuming you're working, okay? So put that out there as an expectation to yourself before you get too crazy with work because um, I've actually stopped replying to people late at night. And trust me, the second I hit that send button, I think, oh, I bet they're up. They're going to reply back, assuming I'm going to reply back then. So email it after hours and nights and weekends or whatever. Just keep in mind that our clients are like us, 24 by 7 people too. But sometimes it can be exhausting. So, um, all right. And I think um, the next show we are going to talk about the syncing tools. That is the final one. And then we're going to go on with the new live. I'm not sure if I'm going to do the show on YouTube or Zoom yet. Um I'm building my studio right now. I'm building up the new format. I'm playing with it, but it definitely will be after Chicago. And um, you'll still be able to listen. You'll still be able to listen on the Podbean network. And I'm going to have you uh, subscribe to YouTube. So I will actually put that in the notes right now, the YouTube subscription, so you can catch it. I think I'm going to do YouTube, though, because it just makes more sense since YouTube loves that girl. They do. Getting a lot of hits on those videos and a lot of calls in. So, anyway, uh, if you have a story you want to share, want to be a guest on the show, contact me, Lisa, at callthatgirl.biz. If you want to hire me, I do now have the new two-hour tech tickets that I'm selling to technicians. I don't sell to clients at a little lower rate. I sell them for uh, two hours for two seventy-eight. With that, you can get me in 15-minute increments. So let's say you're in a bind and you're like ticked off that, you know, some Outlook snag is not working. You can have me remote in quick and I just take the time off that ticket. And that has, I've sold four of them just accidentally. So I was like, well, I'm going to start selling them now. So techs can have me, you know, when they want. And then you're actually a real client too, you know. Um, If you want to partner with me on a migration, feel free to call me. I just partnered up with another fella who um, is my Outlook, well, actually not my Outlook, he's my exchange expert. So when questions come in to me, I don't know, I pull him in, and we decided to now partner on large-scale migrations and offer assisted migrations. So if your company, let's say you work for a company and you're going to do a migration in a year and you're like, well, it's only going to be a one-timer, should I spend all this time learning it or should we just pull in Lisa and Robert? You know, might make it easier for you because it's only going to be a one-off, you know? That's called an assisted migration where you're going to be the sneakers in the field or whatever Robert called it. And I'll, you know, we do the back end, you do the the desktop deployment and helping. Anyway, um, sorry, I went off topic a little bit there. But anyway, um, remember, you can go to callthatgirl.biz slash office365 to check out the show notes. They'll be in the Podbean also. And don't forget to thank our friends over at App River if you want to think about becoming a partner or a reseller with them you can contact steve harris and his email is sharris at appriver.com this has been a Heyman hendrickson production audio supported by mitch Heyman. thank you folks and see you next show